Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. This is the second episode in our series we are calling The Psychology and Spirituality of Conspiracies. We discuss some of the psychological forces giving rise to the vulnerability for conspiracy, i.e. psychosis, mood and personality disorders, isolation, a high tolerance for inconsistency, and various types of attachment phenomenon. This is a bit of a deep dive into psych theory, but all backed in research and presented with real-life applications. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese Medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Okay, switching gears a little bit, we can get to like the psychology theories around this, right? There are a number of like little psychological theories that are worthwhile maybe kicking around related to this. So I was curious to hear your opinions on these, Daniel. All right. So I think you like evolutionary psych a little bit more than I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you bring it up a little bit more than I do, but uh, there's something worthwhile saying about this, which is what they call the adaptive conspirative hypothesis, which is that maybe human beings evolved an eye for possible conspiracies, conspiracies directed against them uh, because it, it made you a little bit more forewarned for when it actually happened. So it would be selected for. So if you had like different bands of people in the early history of you know, human beings, of homo sapiens, and you were a little bit more inclined to be sus- suspicious of the other group, it was a protective thing. Mm. And you'd be on the lookout for that because maybe these people would you know, turn on you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe these people would, you know, uh, again, be conspiring against you. Mm-hmm. And so there might be a reason why this would be selected. And it might be a little bit of a tendency within the human psyche to be this way. So uh, what do you think about that one? I mean, it makes sense. You know, it, may, it makes sense to have some level of alarm, even with allies, you know, especially mm-hmm. when resources were scarce and how that could be a positive trait you know, for people to have is, so I could, I could, I could totally see that and how that would then, because we're not really competing with each other for resources anymore, at least in that sense, um, that we're competing for other kind of, of resources, which is, you know, in, in this, our case, like a sense of freedom, freedom or the, the perception of freedom is, is seeming a resource that, that is going to be infringed upon by some entity. And in this case, the, you know, the, the government or, you know, some companies. I wasn't like, like fully thinking about this, but maybe in like what's happening in the States right now, there is this feeling of like a zero sum game going on. People feel at risk financially. People feel insecure. And maybe it does kick in this kind of conspiratorial tendency. This other group is going to be like somehow infringing upon my ability to survive. It is, but I, I tell you what, mm. I have some, I have some, um, we'll say uh, well-off friends 
and even in and and I mean very not not a little bit like very mm -hmm. you know like grandkids kids are already don't have to work yeah um and it they're they have it's conspiratorial as anybody else <laughs> yes yeah 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 well yeah that's an interesting thing maybe none of this totally explains this but it explains pieces maybe sure. right yes. yeah maybe we're trying to explain pieces as we're trying to like take this thing apart okay so that's the evolutionary psych psych slant on it maybe there is a little bit of an evolutionary tendency to go in this direction okay the other thing came up that was kind of interesting to me was like correlations of personality characteristics with the tendency to be more open to conspiratory kind of thinking mm. right so correlations going on here some of these were pretty obvious like if you're a more interpersonally paranoid person you're distrustful of individuals you're probably gonna be more likely to buy into um you know that there's conspiracies going on on mass levels or something mm -hmm. like that so that seems like hmm, that one's pretty easy to kind of like understand right yeah the other one that really came up for me uh was i just lumped them all together under this dark triad idea Ooh, three. I'm down with a three. Yes. So the dark triad <laughs> <laughs> sounds like uh, the emperor from Star Wars or something. It would have well, like, it's the opposite. He and the Darth Vader Trinity. and the third guy you never got to. Yeah. It's the opposite of the Holy Trinity, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the dark triad. So this is a psych thing. If you haven't heard of it, it's um, it's an interesting concept, right? I don't know. It probably has some controversy around it, but it's still pretty interesting. I taught it to my son. I have like a, an eight-year-old and I taught him the dark triad so he could understand American politics. <laughs> All the people are part of the dark triad. Uh, but so the psychology of this, it's not a secret underground group. It's not like they owl worship in like some grove in California or something like that, you know, Moloch or something like that. That's an American conspiratory <laughs> conspiracy theory. And my patient believed that one, my guy with the back pain. He thought that there were a bunch of people in, I don't know what they call it, something Grove up in Northern California. Anyways, um, American conspiracy theory about people in the government going and worshiping a giant owl <laughs> in Northern California in the wine country. That's a, that's a legit American conspiracy that people believe in. Anyways, the dark triad on point. Psychologically speaking, what is it? And it's these three kind of personality characteristics together. And apparently if you have these things, you're more inclined any of these you're more inclined to be conspiratorial right one is narcissism which it's really hard not to think about our current kind of blowness of the united states now right as a narcissistic person as he seems to be and this is kind of interesting in the psych research because if you're narcissistic and I, these other ones fit into the same kind of thinking you're more like because you're willing to take advantage of other people you're more willing to think that other people are gonna take advantage and try to trick people on a mass level. You're more inclined to do this personally. So you're more willing to think that other people are doing it. And then maybe people are doing it on huge levels of scale too. So narcissism is one of these things. The others of these dark triads is Machiavellianism, mm. which was really funny to try to hear my eight-year-old try to say that whenever I would quiz him on this, you know, try to say Machiavellianism. So this is going back to this book called The Prince, if you're not familiar with it, by this writer named Machiavelli. He's kind of like a historical writer. I can't remember the exact period he was writing, but it's basically all about how when you're a leader, you do all these sneaky machinations to try to manipulate people. So if you're a manipulative Machiavellian person who tries to do things, uh, manipulating and twisting things to your own advantage, 
And obviously a lot of political people are like this, you know? Um, but if you have this tendency in you, you're more likely to believe that other people are doing this and why not on a mass scale as well. And then the last one of these is sociopathy, which is just this, uh, you know, a psych concept. A lot of people, are, you know, we've heard the word, we kind of have some feeling of what it means, but it, it's basically you're willing to manipulate people for your own benefit and amusement. You lack empathy and you feel like, you feel like the needs and the kinds of normal human behaviors that protect other people from each other don't apply to you. So these kinds of things go together. And you know, the general understanding is because you have these tendencies to be manipulative, deceiving, and advantage taking yourself, you're just perfectly willing to kind of like imagine that people are doing this on mass scales. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a logical progression, right? From mm -hmm. one to the other. So if you're willing to do it, then you you believe in it, so there's nothing to convince you of, you know. Yeah, you're drinking the so, Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid's already drunk. Yeah, yeah, you already have that personality trait in you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the other like last one that kind of fits in with this is this idea of disagreeableness. You sometimes hear this talked about in psychology. You know, are you a more agreeable person, which means you kind of go a little bit more out of your way to create harmony with other people. Mm. But if you're more disagreeable and you don't mind interpersonal conflict then you're much more likely to kind of tolerate this conspiratorial thinking, apparently, right? It's correlated out there see, I, because I, you're willing to be more conflict-driven, probably. See, I, I think this, that one is the most elegant description of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. People you want to capture are, it in a word? Yeah, I think that, that for me, that, that captures it in, in a single word and that we can think about that in people who we know who are just – you're, are, are you trying to create harmony? You know, are, are you one of those types of people who just would rather, you know, keep everything calm for now? Or are you, or, or are you willing to kind of get into it with somebody? If someone doesn't agree with what you're saying, are you kind of like, no, well, listen to, you know, like, are you more willing to do that? And I think actually that's kind of like viewed positively in, 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 our, in, in the American or even in the Western society, at least in American society. I don't know about the Western society, but I feel like that's something that is almost... I don't know, like I said, looked favorably upon. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know, and certainly within those circles where people are being combative online, you know, building up these relationships, you know, trying to browbeat people to agree with them, you're willing to like be disagreeable, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And just in general, you know, for when, when, when you are more steeped in your beliefs, then you are more likely and more willing to argue with those who don't hold those same beliefs. And so that that disagreeableness amongst people is is actually quite prevalent, and that and that that spans the gamut of political leanings, really. You know, what's kind of interesting to me when I think about this particular show we're trying to do here. I want to present challenging ideas, but I don't want to try to jam them down other people's throats. No, you know, and um, so you could kind of see that. That's just interesting. I hadn't really thought about the show in that way, but you know, I think we want to do a show that's challenging. Mm -hmm. that presents things that are thought provoking. But if someone were to say to me, do I expect someone to see the world exactly the way that I, I see it? That would just seem crazy to me mm -hmm. <laughs> to expect other people to do that. I can mm -hmm. make a case for why I think things are a certain way and, and try to like maybe present things that seem thought provoking. But that, that is interesting. Maybe that does capture something pretty deep just in that one thing that, mm -hmm. that, that willingness to try to like force other people to hold your same view, mm -hmm. right? Mm. Or just That's be less, or just be less agreeable, less amenable 
to finding common ground with someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know? true. Just like, nah, I don't, nah, I'm good. Yeah, that comes up in the podcast a lot too, because you do kind of bring back to this idea of like having to show unity, mm-hmm. even when there's division, right? You have to learn how you're going to unite with other people who don't see the things the same way as you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, All right. Well, good, this is yeah. good stuff so far, Eric. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's yeah, so we're trying to do like, I think an in-depth and compassionate way of looking at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing that came up that I thought was really interesting was this tolerance for inconsistency. And we'll look at this a couple of times just to think it through, Hmm. but you know, it's this thing that people can hold completely contradictory ideas in their mind at the same time. The more tolerant you are of that, the more you're going to be likely to buy into some of these ideas, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe an example would be something like, you know, if you look at like on 2020, uh, the Chinese government is covering up all of these deaths and you're not, they're not telling the truth. And it's a biological weapon that's supposed to like destroy everyone. At the same time, you hold the idea that this doesn't really matter. We should open up and no one has to wear a mask. You know, those are two contradictory ideas that you have to be able to hold in your head at the same time, you know, which just says something about a tendency to what will make you more open for this, that you, you're not internally challenging yourself. So in some way, uh, you're like, what, what do you well, think? This is, you're thinking something. <laughs> well, yeah, this is called being a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. how hypocritical are you willing to be, right? Like, you know, I, and I just have this idea, the idea of freedom is, is, in, my, is in my brain tonight uh, or today, depending on when you're listening to this. But, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, I, I want my freedom at the cost of yours. So I'm going to be free but you're going to do as I want you to do. That's kind of like a moral hypocrisy or something like that. Yeah. And and this is, this is very, you know, very regular. It's like, you know, I I don't, but so the point is not to point it out. The point is to say that people who are tolerant of the, of those, you know, like um, opposing ideologies existing simultaneously are more prone to believe or, or uh, uh, live within a conspiracy type of, of a realm. So we're just kind of highlighting people like that. I do think like, like in spiritual practice, in the tantras, in Zen, and the things I've done, there is this demand that you look inside yourself and see what contradicts, mm. you know, just as a kind of a self-knowledge, right? You have to see where you're like conflicting with yourself and, you know, no one's going to be 100% consistent. It might not even be possible, you know, and maybe that wouldn't even be good, but you at least become aware of where there are these points inside yourself where you're kind of disagreeing with yourself. Mm. And that's part of like a, a kind of a self-understanding. But if you're not willing to see those contradictory ideas in your own mind, you know, uh, you're kind of blocked from a certain kind of like honest self-knowledge mm. of how you actually think. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say there? Well, it, it brings to mind the idea of, of the people's aspects, right? Individual aspects of their, of themselves. So, you know, in psychology, they'll talk about, especially in Jungian kind of stuff, they'll talk about what, the people's masks, right? Yeah. we got a whole Jung thing that we're going to do with this too. Yeah. So, yeah, and so, yeah. so this kind of idea of like, you're one way with your family, you're another way with your friends, you're somebody else with this and you're somebody else with that. And we hear about these people who are, you know, pretty not great people in, in the political realm or in regular, you know, in, in corporate life or whatever life. And then, you know, somebody will talk, somebody else talk about him and say, oh, but I know him to be a great guy. 
or a great. Well, that happens. That's true. That is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so the reason for which why I am talking about unit, always about unity and unification is because I personally don't want to live a, a life of multiple personalities. It's draining, you know, and then I abdicate responsibility, you know, as an individual to say, oh, well, that's just me over there. You know, when I'm over there, I'm a, you know, red blooded American, you know, but then when I'm over here, oh, well, now I'm a yogi. Oh, I see what saying. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And so people have these divisions within themselves. And, and I think the idea of like self-reflection and asking the questions about where the, where the dichotomies or trichotomies or I don't even more divisions on the inside are not asked ever. You know, they're not looking for the hypocrisies. And so the inconsistencies are not seen as inconsistencies. It's just the nature of their being. Well, I guess I would throw out the idea that as far as like spiritual practice goes, Tantra, Zen, or otherwise, in my experience with this, um, Taoism, would be that I think in part, you want to like be aware of, okay, when am I being contradictory with other people, Mm. right? where I'm being this way with one person and this way with another person, there's an inconsistency with this. I think they did some research on the Dalai Lama with this and they were doing like, like kind of like facial recognition stuff where they were looking for um, facial cues that would indicate like um, inauthenticity or something. And it like, but the, you know, the main point was that he tended to be authentic. He tended to be consistent with people, right? And I, I see a virtue in that, right? What you're talking about that. And then the other side of that is, are you being internally conflicted with yourself? Mm. And those two things are probably interconnected, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I buy into it. And I guess I see spiritual practice, the kind of things that we're trying to talk about in the podcast, like big picture overall, is being, I think you should be aware of those things in yourself. And maybe like, it's okay to have contradictory parts of yourself that might be natural mm-hmm. on some level, but you know, at least you're aware of it. You're not walking around, but you're not aware of your own your own things with this. And you should get to think about it in a self-reflective and, and, and critical way, mm-hmm. right? Where you're looking honestly at yourself. So, yeah. And the act of, I mean, I'm saying is that I don't believe that people do that. I don't believe a large number of people do that self-reflection, critic, you know, using, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hear what using you're the, the, the meat, you know, these, these, you know, words we like to use, like the buzzwords, right? Skillful means. Right. Okay. Yeah. The skillful yeah. means and Buddhist lingo. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the ability to to apply reflective um, techniques, or even just sitting and, or even just thinking, questioning. It doesn't even have to be that skillful, but just the fact that you're doing it is a dive inward, right? In order to kind of like shed light, as we're trying to do now, on on some of the inconsistency inconsistencies within ourselves. I mean, maybe they're not going to be completely eliminated, and, and as to your point, maybe they shouldn't be. You know, maybe there's, that's the growth for people is to, to live with those inconsistencies. There could be paradoxes in life that you have to carry two paradoxical things. That's okay. You know, life can have its paradoxes, but you should, you should look at them and be aware of them. Right. As part of your own, your own development of yourself. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. So I think that's part of it too. So, so far we got, uh, you know, these ideas of like uh, uh, dark triadism, uh, we looked at correlations of different types. The last one that comes up here, and I think I want to get back to it a little bit later, but I'll just throw it out now because it's it kind of maybe applies in a couple of places, is this idea of insecure attachment. Mm. So this is related to a psych theory called attachment theory. And it's one of the really kind of um, uh, famous ones. I mean, a lot of 
certain number of people in the audience probably already be familiar with this, but <clears throat> basically the theory attachment theory talks about how people connect with those, with their caretakers and caregivers when they're young and what kind of relationships form. And it's really famous for uh, these studies where they would watch kids um, in settings with, uh, with a parent or with a caregiver, right? And they would see how the kid would respond when there was an interesting environment and there was also a protective caretaker, you know, when the caretaker would leave, how upset would they be? Would they be willing to eventually get over being upset? Young kids and eventually explore the environment. Would they, um, would they seem to be indifferent to the caretaker and immediately go out into the environment when it seemed like there was a lack of a bond? They'd ask these kinds of questions, right? And it was sort of based on these kinds of studies, but apparently these, these tendencies in people kind of continue to carry on into adulthood, right? And they really give like sort of four styles of how people attach, right? It's kind of a more ideal thing, which is a secure attachment, which people feel is secure with their caretaker. When the caretaker goes, when they're young, they could be upset for a little bit, but eventually they'll get over it. They'll connect with the environment. And when the caretaker comes back, they can kind of reconnect. So that's sort of the, that's sort of the healthy ideal of this, right? And there's three things that are considered to be more problematic, right? And one is an insecure attachment where um, uh, people, when the caretaker leaves, they're really upset and it really bothers them. And then even when the caretaker comes back, they're still upset and it's harder for them to rebond again on some level. So that's one of the, that's one of the possibilities. There are two others, I'll just do them real quick, you know, just because we're kind of giving people some tools to think about here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an interesting thing outside of this context of even talking about conspiracy, just to think about how this is in your own life. This is something you can use to understand yourself. You know, the other one is avoidant, where it seems like that comes from situations where people have been hurt by caretakers, mm -hmm. and therefore they don't trust them, mm -hmm. and so they don't want to form strong bonds because uh, they have fears of being hurt. Mm -hmm. So you know, the kid will act more indifferent to the parents because they found the parent to be unreliable and they don't trust them anyways, right? The insecure ones seem to come, the first one I mentioned where people are really upset and then in adulthood it translates into these people who are kind of needy and secure and they need attention and support. Mm -hmm. I think the idea behind that is that when the uh, caregiver, when you're young, hasn't been reliable, you kind of act out to draw their attention, you know? Squeaky wheel, you, you act out and then you use that as the tool to get attention. And so, you know, that's the insecure thing. And then people carry that tendency into adulthood in their relationships, right? And the last one is kind of interesting where it's the argument that the parents have been kind of inconsistent. And so, you know, as kids, both of these things happen. Sometimes kids are avoidant and sometimes kids are very insecure and they, they kind of ricochet back and forth between these two patterns of behavior. The one where they're just withdrawing because they don't trust people and they're trying to protect themselves and the other where they're kind of being needy and kind of trying to drag attention to themselves and they flip-flop around, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyways, this is the idea of attachment theory, kind of if you boil it down to its like, you know, basic nuts and bolts, that's kind of like the thumbnail sketch of it, right? 
And it's an interesting little theory. And I thought it was fun. Fun is not the right word. <laughs> interesting, thought-provoking to share in the episode, just because you can think about it for yourself anyways. But apparently there's some correlation between people who are insecurely attached and like being more drawn into conspiracy theory. Hmm. And maybe it has to do with what you were talking about, Daniel, this feeling of like making connections with other people that you feel that you can get sort of some feeling of connection and support with. Maybe that's where that really stems from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that seem, it seems logical because mm-hmm. I said it, therefore I'm in congruence with myself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> your, yourself now is congruent with yourself that we had about 10 minutes ago, yes, this recording. I, I that's very me. good. Your I spiritual practice is like an inspiration to us all. <laughs> it's good, man. Yeah uh no it's it's true so you, yeah so you were probably pointing out before and I, I was thinking about that that's that does connect back to this idea of attachment well, just as a sidebar you know since we like to talk honestly in the show i've been thinking about this attachment theory a little bit hmm. outside the context of even this per- prepping for this particular episode i was listening to kind of an audiobook about it and um, just in the interest of sharing in a GNT way, I came from kind of like a pretty tumultuous and abusive household growing up. That's all in the background for me. I don't think about that too much. And yet, um, while I would think I'm a person who relatively securely attaches now, there's still a part of me that ricochets a little bit back and forth, maybe between avoidant and insecure. There might be parts of me that are like that. So anyways, if, this, if you hear this and it rings any bells for you as a listener and going, huh, I wonder how like I am with this, especially if you came a, from a household with a rough upbringing, right? Um, you know, that is considered to be, you know, something worthwhile looking at. And I know I found it to be kind of, I don't know, it was a little bit like helping me shed a little insight and in like some subtle aspects of my behavior. So I can go a little bit back and forth on this still. So I, I think I'm much better than when I was a, uh, you know, a younger dude in his 20s, there's still little pieces of me that are a little bit like this, you know. Mm. Now I was talking with my 18 year old because she's taking her AP psych class now. And I was going, well, what do you think about this? And she was like, well, maybe you could be a little bit like that. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, I could see a little tiny bit of that that still lingers. So anyways, I threw it out, not just in the, because we're talking about conspiracy theories and there's this correlation that goes on, but because maybe it's just something worthwhile looking at for people who, you know, want to understand themselves better. Mm-hmm. How do you see it in yourself? What do you, do you feel any connection so, with any of those sort of categories, Daniel? Yeah, I would level? say, I would say for me, and, and I, you know, and we talked about so like these four ideas of or the four aspects of insecure attachment or, or four aspects of attachment. Um, I think you could also, since we, we talked about language before we started recording, right? We could also use the word attention, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For, for attachment. And then it moves it more, not just from a person to person, but person to society and mm. how we garner attention and how that fuels ourself. And so for myself, um, I think, I'm, I, think I, I go between secure and insecure, but instead of the anger part, I use humor to garner the, the, the attention right, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. The, of the people around. And so that became a personality trait. And it's a good, um, as we're talking about, it, I'm like, oh, I do that. But I, in order to, to gain, you know, love or whatever, I, I use humor. And so everybody, if someone finds you funny, they're going to be around you. Oh, look at this funny guy. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think, so for myself, I, I can say not just attachment, but um, 
attention, you know, yeah. and I think eventually everybody does want some form of attention. And well, I think there's like, like the whole theory relies on this idea that there's like an attachment mechanism. There's an emotional connection that people want, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And then people develop sort of different strategies for how they're going to get those needs met to get those connections, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's humor or, you know, some person acts all moody and then maybe people will sort of try to like reach out to them or something. You know, I never had much success at that particular vibe, but I know people who are very good at that. <laughs> That's not my way. <laughs> it works for some. Works for some. If I look at myself as an adult, again, we're doing this little side road into this thing. I do reach out to people. Like I'm not someone who won't reach out to people. I'll reach out for sure. And I reach out pretty sincerely. And I reach out hopefully with a decent amount of love and affection for people. But I could see in myself, especially when hmm, I don't feel like maybe how I'm trying to reach out, it like registers with the other person or I connect, then sometimes I can get a little bit like, okay, I'll just avoid this shit because I don't want to get hurt, you know? So anyways, for people who are listening to this, you know, you know, we all get to look at these things in ourselves, And I thought I'd share a little bit of this just because, you know, we're all looking at these things and, you know, part of the G&T thing is we want to talk honestly you know, of how these things apply to us as individuals. And so I was thinking, okay, if I look at these four styles, I can see that a little bit. You know, I can get a little avoidant. You know, if I feel like, oh, this is going to be hurtful, I'll pull back in a little bit, be a little more self-protective. Now, how do you feel about that, Daniel? Do you feel like you do that? Uh, a little bit. A, a little, that's, like, that's not your deal, though, huh? No, not quite. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have my own other, I got my own other odd idiosyncrasies, you know, for sure, though. Yeah. And if I take it back to my family of origin, it was very inconsistent. Mm. It was unreliable. You wouldn't know when someone was going to get angry. Mm. So you never knew when you'd have to protect, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And some, other times the person would be very nice to you. And then you feel like you could, you, you could connect. So it was inconsistent in this way. So anyways, if you come from a household where those things are issues and you're trying to work through this stuff for yourself, it's something worthwhile looking at, right? Um, Going back to conspiracy, though, for some reason, these are things that are correlated, right? This whole set of things, whether it's like this feeling of insecurity and wanting to like somehow get attention to connect, right? This insecure attachment, mm -hmm. um, whether it's this little tendency for paranoia, whether it's some of these dark triadisms, whether it's, it's this tolerance for internal inconsistency. These are all kind of like psychological correlation things going on here you know, that make you a little bit more vulnerable in sort of psych research to be, you know, attracted to conspiracy type thinking. Yeah, the vulnerability, I think that's the, that's the. the yeah, there's a vulnerability thing within it. But, you know, some of it is that paradoxical vulnerableness of like a narcissist. And that's probably the people who want to like draw their people in to their world, right? And it's a more of a manipulative or Machiavellian thing. So, yeah. Right, but they're vulnerable in a different way, right? They're yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they're, they're looking to have a void filled. Right. And in a very, in a particular kind of, I need as many eyes on me and people to believe what it is that I'm saying and, and, and who I am and to be followed by, you know, people so that the, 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 the gaps inside are, you know, they have a, a, a cement covering over them so they won't be seen, you know, so I'm going to maybe like the strategies for getting these needs met are different. Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe the strategies for getting these needs but better. Everyone's, everyone's feeling some void and you're just trying to figure out how, what's your strategy for getting it filled, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's kind of the psych stuff. The other thing that came up is kind of an interesting thing is historical cultural factors, 
which is just trying to make the point that um, uh, things that are more going on in society overall make people more vulnerable to these things. Okay, let's make more sense as we go through it. So if you live in a time of major events, you're more likely apparently to be vulnerable to conspiratorial thinking. And that seems to make a lot of sense. And that's probably what's happened in the US over the last however many years. We've had all of these sort of national traumas, right? I mean, probably starting with 9-11 even almost, right? 9-11 was kind of an odd US trauma. And then we had this financial collapse that was a trauma. And however you feel about him, the election of Trump was kind of a weird trauma for a lot of there for people, mm. you know, uh, you know, I guess whether you like him or dislike him, you could still acknowledge that that was a traumatic event and it's still kind of ongoing. So we live through these major events and maybe just triggers people to be more vulnerable to this kind of conspiratorial thinking. That certainly makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then within this, there's ideology that, that crops up for people. So the more inclined you are to be ideological just in general, the more likely you are to be conspiratorial and that seems relatively self-explanatory. Yeah, But the research that's gone on with this is kind of interesting because you could see the flaring of this when the party, the political party is in power that you don't like, you'll go much more conspiratorial, mm -hmm. right? And I guess it depends on what you think about the Russiagate conspiracy in the United States, which was the whole idea that, you know, Russia was involved in helping getting Trump elected and all that, which depending on the journalism you listen to is either a thing or not a thing. But lots of journalists are saying that really wasn't a thing that was blown up out of proportion too. And again, Matt Tyvee is a person who talks about that. So you're more inclined to believe these things, you know, when uh, you feel, I guess, maybe disempowered might be a, the way this will ultimately sort of play itself out. Feelings of disempowerment lead to feelings of vulnerability to conspiracy. And that gets, it gets, gets to the vulnerability thing you were talking about, right, Daniel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when you get to the real compassionate side, if we look at like historical cultural factors, groups that have been victims of conspiracy within that population, there's much more of a likelihood to be afraid of that again, mm -hmm. right? And that almost seems to like hook in a little bit to the evolutionary aspect of things too. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a group that has been mistreated, you know, and, you know, obviously United States, you know, we have our own groups that have been victims of like, you know, terrible conspiracies. And, and I was, you know, like you think of the, the, the uh, Tuskegee thing where these, you know, uh, black soldiers were just experimented on just to see how syphilis would affect them. Well, of course you're going to be, if that's already been done to a group that you belong to, of course, you're going to be more, you're going to be wary of something like that potentially happening again. So. Well, if, and if we think about this, and, you know, we can even one more layer of depth, groups that have been victims, period, not even necessarily of conspiracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just groups of, that, that have been victims because they feel disempowered, right? Number one, and if we go one step further, groups that feel that they have been victimized, right? And so now you name a group that doesn't feel like they have been victimized at some point. Right. Oh, that's really true. There's no group that you can, you know. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So if you feel that way, then you feel as if it's our group versus other, which comes down to duality again, right? It really boils down to self versus non-self. But if we think about that, then it makes sense for people to say, well, of course they're against us. They always have been, right? Look at this, this, and this. And so you're just going to follow that logical progression to some far-fetched conspiracy theory as a, as a means to describe the 
the societal factors that are against you. And of course they're against you because they have been before. Yeah, so I mean, if you take conspiracy, not even in the sneaky part, but people have been conspiring against you, mm -hmm. just acting against you, of course, that's gonna be like, yeah, you're gonna be uh, uh, aware and, and, uh, and then what you're saying too, who, what group of people won't in some part of their history maybe feel like that something has been, you know, they've been targeted in some way, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to go into that place, yeah. And life history, not just, not just people's history, life history, because I don't think people have like a, a full historical appreciation for the plight that they have been to even come to, you know, to even get to this country. Because there's a lot of groups of people, once they come here, they're done with where they're from. Like that's, that's another, okay. that's yeah, another yeah. world. So it's just your own life. You know, and so at what point have you not felt that your people that you're you associated with have not been made victims of some type or another? And, you know, then with that as the background, of course, you believe that people are going to cons are conspiring against you or people who look like you or people who think like you or people who work in field you work in or believe in what you believe in. You know, we're all being conspired against. Well, it's kind of like the, the part of the first part of the conversation where like there's lots of like nefarious shit that goes on mm -hmm. you know and if your group that you belong to has been a victim of nefarious shit you know perpetrated against you mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that like that that puts you in a like that's a that's a that strikes me as a tough thing to totally figure out mm -hmm. you know like if you're trying to work on that part you know in either groups of people or in yourself if you're from a group that has been the victim of you know nefarious behavior that's tough right yeah. The other thing that comes up in this particular little section is what they're calling like, and this is part of what you've been alluding to the whole time, uh, Daniel, sort of this idea of in-group and out-group, mm. right? So when you have like a, a sort of more what they're calling in-group narcissism, which is the feeling that there's some aspect of your group that is superior, right? Then you're more likely to believe conspiracies, right? And maybe conspiracies are being perpetrated against you in some way. And I suppose there's different ways of thinking about what that might mean. When I think about it for what we've been going through in America, you know, it, it is this weird thing where the people who are the acting out and the way that they're acting out do feel like they're victims of things being conspired against them. And there's this other really ugly part of them feeling that they're superior, right? And so it's a, you know, it's a, a, again, a genuine problem here, you know, that you have this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what I think about this totally, you know, we all have our pet theories in this. And I wonder about religiosity here sometime, because you can think about this in terms of race, but you can also think about this in terms of religion. And if for some reason you feel like your religion makes you superior to other religions, you know, then that becomes its own kind of problem too, right? Mm -hmm. I always had the feeling like, and again, I'm not trying to give crap to anybody in their individual beliefs or groups of people at all. But I've had this thought of the way American Christianity sometimes is, it has this triumphant quality to it. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're the superior religion almost, right? And our way of following religion is right. Like, again, I have family members who are, I, again, we talked about in other episodes, great people, I love them, but they definitely think I'm going to hell, you know? because I don't follow exactly their religiosity, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I wonder if that doesn't make people more vulnerable, you know, to this kind of conspiratorial way of looking at the world. What do you think about that one? Oh, I think it, I mean, I think it fits, right? You know? Yeah. 
<coughs> your people are sort of um, ushered to believe in their belief system, ushered to rely on their faith and intuition. And, and then there are these sort of theories that are beyond seeming rationality, for better or worse. But we're trained already, maybe by adaptive psychology, right, or evolutionary psychology, or all the other things that we've taught, whatever the background is. But we're sort of trained psychologically, culturally to, to believe in these things, you know, believe in hope, believe in good, believe in freedom. And then in, in, in this case, believe in Christ, believe in whatever, believe in God, believe in these things. We're taught to believe in these things. And so when then a larger than life idea gets brought forth, we're primed. We're already primed. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Your, your psychology's already been primed to kind of be accepting of that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, and, and you and I both have, I think, complicated relationships with you know, Christianity, right? Because mm -hmm. in some part, we're not anti-Christian, no, for I like sure. The, I like the guy. Yeah, you're in, you're like, yeah, me too. Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got no issue. On the other hand, I do feel like the way that that religion has affected where I live at this time, some of the people I know, there has been this sort of like narcissistic inflation mm. that's happened to some of the people I know. And it really is the idea that like, if you don't see it the way they see it, then you're fucked essentially. Well, and by it, fucked, it's forever. Like you're I mean, done in some low pit of hell, some Dante's Inferno, yeah, and you're it, screwed. Isn't and the yeah, story of mm. Christ himself a conspiracy? I mean, he was being conspired against, right? Yeah, by that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, so like that story in and of itself it has a conspiracy in it. You know, yeah, that's true. And then the putting together of the of of the book itself, all the other books that were left out of it. I mean, who doesn't believe that there's stuff locked up in the Vatican that's going to change the way that we view? I mean, yeah. you know, like the, it, the, there's conspiracies wrapped in in all of it. There's conspiracies wrapped in all of it. So, like I said, we're primed from from the very from the gate to you know Santa Claus. I'm sorry for those who <laughs> I ruined. <laughs> Don't listen. Be careful. You're listening with your kids. Oh, hold on. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we should give a parental warning. Yeah, like no one, should. no kid under a certain age should be listening to this shit anyways. But okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Easter Bunny's definitely real though. Okay. That we, we know some things are for sure. You yeah. Know, obviously. Who, I mean, Easter, who else is going to make a plastic egg? Um, yeah. But, you know, so I think that, that it's just, it's out there, you know, and, and belief is is core to our existence when we i'm, I'm sure during the evolutionary period uh, and i guess we're evolving now but we had to believe that we were going to survive even at the in the most dire of odds so we you know it's it's part of the reason why we're here so i guess like the thing about it though is that there's a definite psych correlation the more you're of this mindset mm. that i'm part of an in-group and my in-group is more special, the more likely you are to like kind of believe kind of these crazier things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, mm. like, the, like the more money I give my pastor, the more money I'm going to get back from the universe. Yeah, kind of like your, uh, uh, your Joel Olstein type people or whatever that dude is, yeah. mega church type folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
All right. So I think like uh, I might have to break a little bit for today. Uh, so we're almost done. But I think the last thing we can do is just to finish this little section is what sort of is the last correlation is like lower education levels. Mm. And that certainly makes sense. Right. But how I saw this fitting into our show, Daniel, before we sign off for the day and you do your your outro for us, which is more like maybe what we're trying to do here in part is the idea that the more knowledge you have, the more empowered you have to think critically the less likely you are, you know, to become susceptible to sort of um, ideas, you know, and I guess maybe for our show, whether that's in the political realm, which was the trigger for the part of doing this, or whether it's in the spiritual realm, mm -hmm. you know, when you're part of some spiritual group and some person starts saying some wacky shit, you know, if you're more knowledgeable, you're more likely to say, I, I'm going to question that part of you. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll believe some other thing you say, but this I don't believe, right. you know? So it was what, that's maybe the, it seemed like a good breaking point for me for today's yeah. thing. We got a couple other things to say about this. So maybe we'll do one other episode because we got to yeah. talk about the shadow and yeah. some other cool Jungian stuff. Yeah. But, you know, that did strike me maybe as a natural breaking point because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to at least throw some ideas out for people that they get to kind of like think about for themselves and especially in the spiritual life, think a little critically, right? Yeah. And I think uh, the word that's coming to my mind is empowerment. Yeah. You know, when, when people are, you know, whether they're lower education or not, or information or whatever, if someone feels disempowered in some way, shape or form, then the idea of, of exaltation, whether that come from religiosity, conspiracy, right, whatever it is, feels good. It feels as if you are, you're, you're lifted up on some level or brought within a group and that you're no longer single, right? You're more powerful because of those around you who share the same belief who are part of your community, who are part of the, the ideology that you're not, again, you're not singled out, you're not alone, you're not on an island. And this probably is adaptive psychologically, right? If you were to be thrown out in the forest on your own way back when, you wouldn't survive. But you believe in the same way that these other people do, so they won't allow you to be thrown out in the forest and you can go live with them and, and eat their you know, fish or whatever it is that they're catching. So um not I, in the forest eating their fish yeah so i mean you know what it's a fish no. <laughs> you know think about it like and i agree like and then you have a real pressure to agree with other people within the group mm -hmm. especially if you feel insecure like if your attachment's insecure right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so you know the other part before we we get out is like you use the word empowerment and the funny part just to bring it back or the interesting part to bring it back to the gnt part is the tantric part is like on the tantric initiation is called an empowerment right because you're supposed to feel empowered mm -hmm. right yeah, so that's what Tantra is supposed to do for you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that word was used on, on purpose, my friend. Oh, look at you. Look at me. Get my, yeah, get yeah. my Bobby T on. Let's get it. Get yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, so you yeah. did the empowerment both in the spiritual sense and empowerment in the psychological sense. You pulled it together for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Daniel. Awesome. Well, thank Eric. Eric, really, really good. Uh, today, today was done well. Today was a little bit more of a, a class style for those who are listening on, on not just conspiracy theory, but on, on psychology. So, uh, definitely. I learned a bunch and I hope everybody else did today as well. And when we come back next time, we're going to go over some of the kind of the uh, emotional cognitive factors involved in this and, and some young and, and shadow stuff, which are going to be really cool too. Uh, so, you know, for uh, thanks for tuning in. We definitely appreciate it. Please share and, and uh, you know, send us feedback. We love it. Uh, for Eric, this is Daniel. Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. Peace. <laughs>